Welcome to the Strategy Story Podcast, a show for, well, basically anyone interested in those real stories of people making it happen and making a difference in work and business. We're here to bring you some seriously cutting-edge thoughts from the worlds of strategy and storytelling. So if you're looking to improve your comms and your business story, or you want tips on leadership and culture, you're seeking strategy advice, or help on leading people through change, keep listening. I'm Kate Hooper, co-founder of Strategy Story, and we are inviting you into our community. So sit back, listen up, and join us. So our next guest is a very remarkable lady running a very remarkable international business. I have known her from old, so I can say all of this with the very deepest of sincerity. Our own shared story saw us walk the corridors of the University of Glasgow together as students studying history of art. Fast forward 20 years, 20 years, my goodness. And this lady is one of Scotland's business success stories. It does not surprise me. Darina Garland is co-founder and CEO of Uni, the outdoor pizza oven company based in Edinburgh. Founded in 2012 by Darina and her husband, Christian, Uni now employs over 350 people across Scotland, America, Germany, and beyond. It is a phenomenal story of entrepreneurship, creativity, and growth. And I am so happy that Darina is here to share this story with us today. Welcome, Darina. Thank you How so much. That? that was outrageous as an introduction. <laughs> I, I all the points. That was very kind. And thank you so much. I, I'm mostly in shock about the 20 years since university. So I'm stuck on that part of the story. I'm stuck there. I don't want to think about it too much, to be honest. <laughs> Although I don't think we've changed a bit. No, honestly, I think that everyone, I was saying that we had a a little reunion at the weekend and I think that everyone looks brilliant. So maybe my lens is different. I don't know. But yeah, thank (laughs) you so much for asking me on the podcast. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure that you're joining us because that is some epic story. And we've got got the professor joining us for this interview. Hi, Prof. You've done it again. Hi, Kate. (laughs) He doesn't like it when I call him the professor. Yeah, I want to call you prod. I'm producer. <laughs> anyway, yeah, it's very lovely to be here. Hi, Darina. It's nice to meet you. Absolutely. It's nice to meet you, Donald. I will call you Donald. But also, Thank you. Uh, Thank that's, see, that's much nicer. You're on the back foot already, Kate. All right. Well, let's get off the back foot. But Darina, an amazing story. So like, just tell us a little bit about Uni. Like, How did it come to be? Because this story is pretty phenomenal. Ah, thank you. So... Yes, the story started about 10, over 10 years ago, almost 11 years now, um, when we were living in London, myself and my husband, Christian. And at that time, we were running an education business called Sukla. Um, Sukla means chocolate in Finnish. My husband, Christian, is from Finland. Um, Nothing to do with the business, just a nice word. Um, But yeah, we were working in school communities um, across the board, across the world, really, um, to try and um, build innovation and creativity within school communities. Um, so we might collaborate on a project with 
NGOs and a school in Peru and like amazing stuff. And we did quite a lot of events. But at the heart of what we said we did was that creativity is problem solving. So that is the segue into the story of Uni because Christian in his spare time, um, we did actually have spare time in a way that we didn't, we really don't have now. So that was good. Um, we He got into making pizza at home and we were living in London at the time, very small back garden. Um, so we didn't have space for a big tree traditional pizza oven and Christian basically worked out that his pizzas were, were only okay that was the problem he wanted like restaurant qualities or pizzas like you would get in Italy um, or even in our local pizzeria um, but you need a very high heat for that so you can't do that in a domestic oven didn't want to spend two grand on a um, didn't want to couldn't spend two grand on a you know a commercial oven or a traditional oven um, also, we were renting our house. So his idea was to create an accessible, smaller, accessible price point, an accessible, portable oven that could get to that really high temperature. So he's just quite practical at being a Finn. I think that is honestly in his DNA and his family DNA anyway. And his family have run businesses before. Um, his mum was a baker. So he has that sort of patient approach to cooking anyway. But uh, yeah, we we made a prototype with a metal welder that was used to making gates in Catford in London. Um, and he thought we were mad. So did most of our friends at the time. We had our newborn baby. So Oscar, who's now 12, was like on our hip because we were sort of doing half childcare, <laughs> half working for Sikla. And yeah, this little oven ran on wood pellets. So that was great because it allowed you to get that really high temperature that you get from uh, like traditional wood, real wood in a small space and that was the kind of real innovation at the time and then we launched that idea on kickstarter and what was great about that is kickstarter is kind of really well known now crowdfunding platforms but at the time it was just opened in the uk so prior to that you couldn't actually host a project without a us bank account but because we were one of the very first in the uk we were able to then instantly have a international audience and so when people ask us like oh how did you crack america it, we definitely don't think about it like that because we from day one from our original very modest crowdfunding campaign i think we tried to raise seven thousand five hundred pounds to like make the first few ovens first tranche of ovens and we end up raising thirty thousand pounds which again is super modest compared to anything we've gone on to do but the, the sales just kept coming in and then we got lots of press instantly because you know, people's hearts and minds were won over by the idea of great pizza at home and it's a very accessible price point. So that was the origin story. And um, there's, yeah, I could talk about it for ages, but that the idea came from that, I just want better pizza. And then quickly seeing that this could have legs to be more than just a thing that we would have in our own back garden. Well, that's one of our first questions. And Donald, you jump in here at any point as well. But one of the questions that I've got for a lot of people that come on the programme, it's, you know, did you have a strategy? Yes. I mean, we weirdly did, actually. So we talk about this quite often because like we've since gone on to be several times listed as the, you know, on the Sunday Times fast track, 100, growth 100, and that kind of thing. But so early, that was one of the things that we talked about as a goal. So there is a strategy to be more than a lifestyle brand quite early, which I don't, uh, yeah, there was a few things in our strategy. We had a brilliant um, grounding and foundation in business by our with our first business so we worked in this business Sukla and we got to visit loads of schools and 
NGOs and governments and different um, ed tech businesses around the world. And like really quickly, you could learn about their culture based on, you know, how people interacted with you um, and how leadership worked. So the strategy for the business side of it was always like to lean into culture, to become value, to, to be values led. So that we learned from people who had done it well already and just by spending time in their businesses. And then in terms of the product strategy, Christian's quite techy. Um, so we, even though it was a hardware product, there were ovens, we definitely wanted to create products quickly, not let in, let goods be the enemy of, perfect be the enemy of good rather. Um, and so we released at least a new core product every year, quite quickly in succession for many years, um, which is really unusual. I've since been to like uh, Google and Silicon Valley and Google X and talked about product development and they're like, that's that's brilliant it's unusual to do um it's hard to make hardware you know you often like we we tried to think a little bit like a software company so um the strategy was make this accessible like really thinking about the disruptive price point because so, like the the next price up for ovens might be like one and a half two well maybe 1200 pounds so our, our ovens at that time were about 250 dollars so about yeah 200 pounds maybe so yeah it was there was a lot of decisions we made early actually to think big to think about our culture to think about products and releasing them often to keep on innovating because essentially this was a new category that was created so that was brilliant um but yeah it, it definitely wasn't by accident there are things that we would maybe do differently now um but there was there was certainly a lot of thought put into where we wanted to get to and like an early decision like a, a value sorry one of our values is ambition and I, I think one of the early, early decisions was like to make that we want to be a global brand from when we were tiny, you know, with no turnover. That was uh, as far as the strategy seems to be working. It's not quite there yet. You know, we we still really we talk about that a lot, that we're just getting started. That's how we feel now. And as much as we've had some traction, we've definitely got a long way to go in terms of what we think is possible. Wow. So the initial ambition was to be a global brand. Yeah, really early. early. Yeah. It's really interesting, isn't it? Because so many of the folk that we speak to, and Donald to jump in here, have that initial, it might not be set down in stone, they might not have the route map, but they've got that kind of initial, even if it's an internal vision, they've got it. Like they know they know what they want to be about and they kind of know roughly where they want to go. Donald, what are yeah. you going to say? Yeah, it was just, it's actually, it made me think of Kate Will Armstrong, who, who set up Confused.com and the Admiral Group, who we also know very well okay. we're a podcast with her but she said she said the thing that they really had was they wanted to be a billion dollar company and it was it's just the in strategy yeah, the thing you. when you talk to people who have actually done it what really comes through is this really powerful idea of what they want to be it's always yeah. more important than anything else yeah i do believe it i had this really cool training recently i mean i'm an incredibly positive person in anyway like ridiculously so hopefully still with realism but yeah I definitely am leaning that way but they were this this guy who was talking about um growth mindset and showing what happens when you have a negative thought versus what happens if you have positive thoughts and how how easily they spread and how you know but I I think his whole thing was about goal mapping and without like articulating at the time we definitely did have that okay like think big how could this be what does it mean to be that big what are the markers so things like being on the Sunday Times fast track it's an interesting one because we're not 
money orientated and I can say that like really safely that's not the goal and that almost like that's part of the growth and I think we can safely say it because it's all plowed back into the business honestly but um that wasn't what mattered it was like, but having those markers that show you're at a certain size and are tracking in that direction it was always part of it so yeah but like one of the things that really strikes me is the amount the immense pressure and the amount that you must deal with on a daily basis and and keeping that positivity when all of the other stuff because not everything doesn't go well all the time you know so how how have you managed to keep hold of that and keep keep being Darina well I think I I can see it now because we we obviously try and design a team with real balance and we've done insights and like what how do people tick and all of these things and I um over indexing for positivity on any scale but um it's important to recognise the downside of that in terms of realism and setting goals and being able to meet people at a level. So I definitely like I'm thoughtful about how I approach it. But I think one of the things I talked about when I was at uni, so I had yourself included, a lot of very um, successful, like really brilliant, successful friends who were still quite self-critical. And I remember thinking, oh my God, like I'm fine. Like on, on most levels, like, I, I definitely don't sweat the small stuff. Like I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't identify as an overthinker, and um, that's helpful. Uh, like yeah. obviously, a bigger picture person and needs people who are way in the details. So I'm not saying, like, and that's a natural thing for me is to pull people in to collaborate with that are that are complementary. And Christian's like very different from me as well, which is definitely good. But um, I, I think one of the things is is really be careful about what you worry about and be mindful like what what does worrying do uh, and I don't I naturally don't do that very much I mean think one of the things that stresses me the most is not the business it's like childcare or you know Here, yeah. next week yeah and so it, those are the things and actually it's really helpful thinking about how the culture of the team and how we can support parents or carers with that and there's so much disruption again at the moment but that's the thing that I'm like ah like not having enough time for the children or or indeed care you know that's really interesting and it is about getting all of these complementary personalities around to to be the full complement if you like but one of the things that I think um from the outside looking in and sometimes from the inside looking in too um at uni is that it's the culture um, and I have been around your dinner table in Edinburgh and it's very family focused, very family orientated. But there's people from uni sitting at that dinner table as well. Like there's such a vibe. It's like such a cool vibe, you know, and I think that that's really oozed through uni as well, hasn't it? The whole vibe. There's a real vibe of working in that business. This podcast is produced in association with Alitu. Alitu is a one-stop shop podcast maker tool offering call recording, audio cleanup, audio editing and publishing. If you want to start your own podcast just like this one, go over to alitu.com. That's A-L-I-T-U.com and try out for a week for free to see if it works for you. It did for us. Yeah, I mean, like, end of the day, when you think about how much time you actually spend at work or working, and you may as well make it enjoyable. <laughs> so there's loads of like, there's loads of rationale behind it. I didn't probably didn't articulate or think about it too much, but learned by 
being in those different businesses or schools and seeing workplace cultures that were thriving and quite quickly you can see the the threads that are like their their heads or their um their leader trusts it, the team and the team are empowered and then like if you look at stuff like Dan Dan Pink's work like what motivates people what drives people it is invest is it talent um it's having autonomy and what's the other one don't know can't remember but like really trusting team really investing in team and that's something we've done quite quickly so yeah. you're wanting to jump in aren't you yeah, well, it was really interesting. In fact, Darina's kind of answered the question. I was sitting on there in the, the you know, Peter Brucker's old statement, culture each strategy for breakfast. I, I was interested in how you'd gone from being two or three of you up to 350. And you, you do get this thing in your publicity that there's an amazingly vibrant culture in Uni. So if you could say a little bit about how you've built that, and then you also mentioned earlier on, Darina, your values and how you're a kind of values-driven business. Some yeah. kind of, some, something about that would be really interesting for folk, I think. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Emphasising culture or giving the attention to culture was a strategy, a strategic decision early on because of what we'd seen working and not working elsewhere and just going, ah, like we want somewhere that people feel really engaged with and they can help build it with us. So I've talked about this before, but a couple of things that we co- we constantly heard when we were growing from maybe, oh, when you go from 20 to 50 people, that's when you lose your culture. Like, you you know, and then there was all these other markers that beyond that. And we're about, yeah, about 370 people now around the world. So when we were growing, like, I hear that. I, I don't doubt that that can happen. But what can we do to ensure that it doesn't or to give the importance? So like kind of the product and the culture, like, are almost equally important and I, I would argue are equally important so things like so we have five different values um, and we reward those values people nominate their peers when they see those behaviors and um, we saw it, those things being lived out in absolute abundance during the pandemic where we we're onboarding quite a lot of people remotely and it's not me anymore you know it's it's our team doing it but because they've been brought on with kindness and other of our values and with like compassion and personality actually like you're not a kind of um clothes corporate that flows and that's one of my proudest things is is like you know it feels like nothing to do with me anymore and obviously we could start it but you can't be the culture you can set the foundations or the framework for how that can operate but ultimately it's trusting it to happen and it's you know it's not always perfect so but then if we feel that there's we have like cultural barometers and feel like things are a bit off then we encourage people to talk about it and like be part of the solution if um so yeah just not letting things slide because quite it can shift quite easily can't it um and go the wrong direction and i think i think the notion of values is actually quite a tricky one to embed in business as well because quite often they can come from top down yeah and you've got to learn them and recite them but actually values as behavior so how what what kind of methods like if we can get a bit granular here what kind of methods do you use in uni yeah to help people understand and be part of those values that makes sense yeah I think values are maybe our most successful part of our culture um in terms of that connection so we designed them with our team when we were really tiny so like 20 people I think we brought them in and we voted them basically. And at that point, it was like, what are the values that we are absolutely living? So not made up. And then we sort of condensed them. We did this workshop. It was in my brother's 
uh, attic, I remember, and it was facilitated by Juliet, who's the CEO of Stripe. And uh, she basically asked us to reduce and reduce and like get get these words pins. And we have four of the same values. We like to swear on this podcast. <laughs> Nobody's sworn yet. Me Why not? Too. The first? Yeah, that's a <laughs> Oh my God, I, I love that. <laughs> um, so we had kindness, reg, uh, no, kindness, ambition, passion, innovation. And then the final one was fucking awesome. <laughs> we awesome. might have to beep it. Yeah. Oh, how cool if I get beeped? I've got an E beside my name. I Basically what that meant was that, oh, it's so awesome to be part of uni. It's so awesome when you bring that pizza out of the oven after 60 seconds and it's this amazing thing that you've made yourself like game-changing pizza that wow moment like it, it incorporated incorporate quite a lot that we we're trying to distill it and that's what we landed on and I was like yeah cool and originally they were meant to be just internal like used for the team and to, to describe what we meant about it so ambition is like we've always wanted to be really big innovation is a key driver like we wouldn't have created a category that needs to be woven through everything we do passion probably my favorite one really really huge all of these are huge in the hiring strategy but passion particularly like I need people that have got that spark behind their eyes and to be passionate about stuff that's not even uh, nothing to do with uni as well so that's I'll tell you a bit more about how we maintain that one um yes and so the fucking awesome one beep um that was uh used quite quickly we started to use them on job specs so we started to hire and we just were like, well, F it. Like, we, this is how we feel. Put them out there. And people liked it. And our our jobs bits had quite a lot of personality. Often our, our CFO writes them. He's hilarious. And just like, ch- like try and be as open as possible about who we are and what we want from people. So they definitely stand out. Um, and yeah, it seemed to be positively received. But a couple of years later, we did a check-in with our bigger team at that stage, probably about 40 people, I would say. And then Lindsay, who is a really senior sales person now, had started. And she was like, can I just, we're just checking into the old resume. Like, how are we living these? She was like, can I just say, I'm really, I really hate effing awesome. It's just like, if we were, which we are, we wouldn't say that. It feels... <laughs> feels very showy um and I was like okay fair fair and so we on that day this is quite a sad moment we replaced effing awesome with rigor um and <laughs> I know right it's uh and we're like if effing awesome's still there but it's um it's it's uh, silent now but yeah, at that point we were in John Lewis you know we were we were in a probably Bloomingdale's we couldn't have that sort of um, I don't know, wobbly handle from our original Kickstarter. We had to have our eyes uh, dotted and our T's crossed. And so rigor, it honestly was something at that stage that was aspirational. It wasn't a true value. But now it is because we've got lots of people in who think like that and who are compliant, uh, compliance people or who are engineers who, re- who are really rigorous, who can who can balance out our big picture thinking. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's that's where we got to with it. I still believe we are fucking awesome, but it is quieter. Um, and then in terms of how we get people to live and breathe them, one of the things we do is we have a passion fund that everyone gets every year of £500 or the equivalent, if wherever they are around the world, to spend on something that they're passionate about. And then they have to tell us about it. So on Slack, um, share pictures and stories and videos of what they spent it on. And that's amazing because you can then see people light up talking about the, I don't know, the 
they went to a ball game in New York with their partner or they and they're you know they're from here or they went to this Michelin star restaurant in Spain or they're buying rock climbing equipment to do this all this Monroe challenges or whatever it is but they they get lit up and they continue to be passionate and this is completely separate from any investment we'll make in training or development for work you know that's separate but we're saying we value you as a whole person and we're and your passions um which I think really resonates and then Another, like we have values nominations all the time so people can nominate their their colleagues when they see stuff um, and we read them out at Monday Huddles, which we have every week. And then at the end of the year, we usually have a holiday party or a summer party, depends on what's happening pandemic-wise or not, where we have value nominations and, you know, people get actual awards for this, the Kindness Award for Uni and nominated by your colleagues because of this, isn't this? And that's really nice as well. So we're just like leaning into and like celebrating those behaviours that we see and promoting them. Um, and it's like woven in. Yeah, so it's quite it's quite a huge part of how we operate actually i think that's like i think that's i think that's such a good example of the values program actually uh working really well because so often values will be uh, a few headings that are stuck up on a poster on a wall yeah. or the reception desk or on the back of somebody's pass or something like that and actually there's no real um sharing of them in a human way and what you talked about there that is it really chimes with with what we go and we we help folk with is the sharing of stories and the celebration of what's working really well and the things that can very often get hidden because perhaps it's not part of the day job or you yeah. know it might be something that's over and above what what is meant to be delivered but it's showcasing it's telling those stories but in a really really human way and I think that leads me into my next question, because we also work with a lot of companies who are on that growth tra trajectory. And um, they're maybe going from local, national to international as well. But how, when you grow overseas, do you keep that sense of communi community and those values um, in line and everybody like still being part of that uni family like what's going on in your internal comms there that's kind of keeping it yeah. all sort of joined up um so firstly we didn't always do this but for a very long time now we've done it where we've hired via the values so that would be probably the most important factor in our hiring strategy um that there's that values alignment obviously we want diversity and divergent thinking and we don't want all offices to feel the same. They have to be uniquely their culture within the uni umbrella, but we want those, that's the shared connection. So like we have definitely had people before who we might have been a, a head of our heart higher where you're like, oh, they've just got amazing experience and yeah, they're not passionate, but we're passionate and that'll rub off and, you know, that kind of thing. And it doesn't actually work. It really doesn't. You can't. You can have different interpretations of kindness or of ambition, and that's fine. Um, but is there? But ultimately, we want those things to be the uniting things. So, um, we also have a Monday huddle every single week where we have the entire team on. In the UK, it's three o'clock, but in Austin, I think that's nine o'clock, and then uh, four o'clock in Germany, and then actually the China team don't join that, but they watch it, and then we have we meet. So, when you say the entire team, do you mean the entire business? Yeah, the entire business. Wow. Yeah. 
Australia, they have to just watch it back. So unfortunately, the time zones aren't quite. We've got a team of uh, three people in Australia now, um, but almost the entire business. Um, and that we've gone back and forward on this. I've always been a big fan of it because it helps the company stay connected. It's half an hour and it tends to be like the headlines of the week. So we do things like universities. That's where people have been here for one, two, three years. Oh, lovely. Like those. We used to do birthdays. They are not now shouted out because it's ridiculous. You're like, everyone's <laughs> having a birthday this year. Yay. Um, but we also <laughs> have business headlines. And then often somebody from a department doing a five slides on their part of the business. So, you know, what is performance marketing or what am I doing? And um, I don't know, in the regenerative business team, what, what do we need from you? Or just a little bit of an insight into that so that the team can stay connected. So they are really successful I think in helping us feel like one organization um it is on paper a lot of time but I think that having that sense of connection is crucial thanks Darina this is some story and I have to say another thanks because you've set a precedent that's going to allow me to swear in one of our podcasts <laughs> although Kate can edit it out of course it'll probably be edited out but it's about in a way it's about where this is going so when i heard you say and we had this chat and then we dropped the fucking awesome value which is brilliant and turned into rigor for me to be honest i thought oh right so one of the really vibey things about uni is it's almost counterculture and not corporate you can it, it, it oozes out of the the pores really yeah. are they now on a journey where as they grow and they get bigger how are you going to protect that where's this all going it's a really beautiful and massive point. So, I, I, like, Lindsay uh, came from KPMG and she, she's amazing. She's actually quite counterculture. But, like, absolutely, she she challenged that. And we, we do have quite a lot of people that we say we've rescued from the corporate universe, my brother included, who is in banking and our CFO and CEO and yeah, loads of people. I think the, to answer the real question about how we stay uh, ourselves and don't go down a corporate, uh, like, or, you know, a kind of evil closed corporate agenda is to make sure that we talk about it much like the culture. Go, okay, that yeah. can happen. How do we stop? What are the, we have masses of power because we still own uni and hope, you know, we will in the future. So we don't have to dance to someone else's tune. Um, and then things like, uh, I don't know how much, I don't know if I talked to Kate about it, but we've got this regenerative business agenda at the moment. So it's, you know, beyond sustainability and, like being able to talk to the team about why that matters to us and and having the power to make decisions in terms of how we do our business going forward and the legacy that we want to build for uni and just being really transparent about that and then bringing people with us, I think is quite different from other businesses in that way or other maybe bigger corporates. So having a having make sure there's like lightheartedness stays through, like a part like joy is part of our value system and well, part of our, you know, connection and joy and like honestly like we're there's downsides because Christian and I started the business and we were obviously married and then my brother is also in the business and like some long-term friends were in our early part of the the business and I was reflecting on it recently because like I can imagine for for newer people they might be like oh you know it's all like in the family and actually I mean it really isn't anymore but the ability to scale a business where people were working for nothing for so long like people who helped us grow this probably no one would do it apart from your friends and family and work for you know 20 grand for years and years 
But we're at this stage now that we're much bigger than that. And we want, we, we talk, another thing we do is talk about this with the team often. So do we want to be a family business or do we want to be like operate like world-class elite sports team and ask people what they think? And there's aspects of both that they like. But ultimately, people lean towards the world-class sports team because if you're a world-class sports team, you it, you and you want and anticipate and ask for feedback, and it's an open thing, and you're supporting your team. You're on the same side, but you can always you're always looking to how to get better and better. It's probably a better tool for describing how a business should operate at this level rather than family, where you're kind of stuck. <laughs> people you know you inherit your family I do love my family well and you're either in the family or not in the family but you can always be part of the team can't you exactly if you know what the game is and what some of the rules are then yeah uh, if you want to play Uh, uh, Donald have you got anything else you want to chip in while we've got Jarena here I don't want to let her go I might not see her for another 20 years which I think (laughs) I think people listening to this would be really interested in and you you kind of alluded to it earlier on Jarena you you said now that I'm, you didn't put it quite like this, but now that I know what I know, there are one or two things I might have done differently. So, so, so from a learnings point of view, to help everybody else that's thinking of setting up a massively successful not pizza oven company. Uh, what, <laughs> now, what welcome. Have you, what, have, what have you learned? Um, I, I think we would have hired people sooner. So we, in a good way, learned to do absolutely everything ourselves, and that with an absolutely tiny team. But we, excuse me. We had uh, about seven people, up to seven people for the first three years, and our turnover was pretty good. So we definitely could have hired more people. Um, so that would be something like getting that expertise in sooner. The two things um, I would do would be hire people sooner and honestly trust our gut more. So things like I alluded to um, hiring people when they knew they didn't align with our values, but I was excited by their experience and I felt like I had so much to learn. Truth is, we should have trusted our gut on that. And um, it just was, you know, always amicable. And, you know, there's very few people that have ever left. But with that one, um, it was just a waste of time and money and everyone's time because it wasn't what we should have have done. And then also, uh, this is quite a Scottish-specific thing. There's been so many well-meaning advisors who have seen our plans when we were like super young and excited about the growth trajectory and talking about 10x in the business and like people would say oh I want to come and like give you advice like billionaires basically in Scotland or in in the UK who we obviously respected they didn't say yes you can do this they definitely said this is unrealistic and actually we went on to do way better than what we predicted than what we planned for and that, um, I think, is both the beautiful thing about being from Scotland and being modest and feet on the ground and realistic, but also from an international perspective. And that's why I like working with Americans as well, because I think there's like there's some that belief that is more integral to American culture is really fascinating. And I actually think it needs it should sometimes be tempered with the European or um, UK perspective. And then you get this kind of perfect belief slash realism slash but yeah it basically um who you listen to is very important because say we were to listen we would have made different decisions that might have meant a much smaller journey for us um and I think it was well intentioned but it wasn't right trust in your gut who do you listen to that thanks that's a great answer really yeah 
Thank you very much. I know folk will listen to this and just be mesmerised with the story. And there might be some questions. Would you be up for coming back if people email in with some questions for you, maybe late, late ne- early next year or something for another yeah, yeah. chat? If we get Absolutely. Some- there you go, folks. If you've got any questions around strategy, story, business, comms, anything life in general, I don't know. Um, for Darina, she's happy to come back. It's hello at strategystory.co.uk. We would absolutely love to hear from you. And Darina, thank you so much. Thank you for joining us here at the Strategy Story Podcast. You can listen to this podcast anywhere they're available. You'll also find all the links and resources mentioned in the show notes below. Don't forget to subscribe to stay up to date with all our episodes.